Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Talk for Two. It's been a little while, but I hope it was worth the wait. I am here at Shetler Studios with Abigail Hawk and Dorothy Lyman. Lyman is, of course, best known for Mama's Family and for directing over half, I'd never, I didn't know this until I was doing research, over half of the episodes of The Nanny. And, of course, is a two-time Emmy winner for her character on All My Children, both for the supporting and lead actress role. And I don't, how many people have done that in their, in their life? I don't know. That's Not the same many. character, two different <laughs> things. And, of course, Abigail Hawk is known for her role as Detective Baker on Blue Bloods, they star in In the Bleak Midwinter, right here at Shetler Studios, running through next week. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, I am, it's an honor to be here because <laughs> you both are in shows already that I loved growing up and love today, <laughs> so this is wonderful. But let's start talking about uh, Midwinter. I'm still emotional, and I know you were too, coming off stage. It's just, it's funny, it's heartwarming, and at the end of the night, gut-wrenching. And you wrote it. And <laughs> I know. Sometimes I feel like the thought police are going to come after me. I, I can't <laughs> believe I wrote it. You know, I keep thinking they're going to say, no, no, John Doe wrote that. And you stole it. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I, I was watching another interview that you had done. And it comes from a, a very personal place in your life and just some things that you went through. And, if you can, I would love for you to, to share what kind of inspired you to write this Well, book. sure. You know, I had a farm uh, in Delaware County, upstate New York, for the last 17 years. I raised eggs. This was after my TV career in Hollywood kind of went into a low period after I turned 50, which is sadly what sometimes happens to older actresses. And... Um, Two years ago, my daughter-in-law, who lives in Connecticut, um, got sick. And I thought, what, what am I doing living up here on this mountain when I could live with them and be useful? You know? And they'd been asking me to move down with them ever since they bought their outfit uh, five years ago. So I reluctantly have put my farm on the market and moved down to Connecticut. And it's the right thing to do, but it was very difficult for me to make that decision. And actually writing this play helped me realize that it was the right thing for me to do. And after I wrote the play, I was able to call a realtor and actually put the place on the market. So if anybody wants a beautiful farm up in Delaware County, New York, I can recommend my place. <laughs> I do. Really? You want to move to a farm up again? <laughs> Just, you know, maybe for a weekend. Now, now but, Sorry, but, you know, I got to know my neighbors there and uh, the plight of the modern farmer and <laughs> The loss of the old-fashioned family farm, you know, um, really touched me and these people's plights and problems up there. So I have kind of incorporated what I knew of their lives into this play. That's really beautiful because I think when people think about farming, they think about the Midwest, the South, they don't necessarily think about farming where the winters are that harsh. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a really interesting uh, differentiator to see you know, the place called In the Bleak Midwinter and, and how that really affects what your character goes through. Yes, I of course thought of the bleak midwinter. She is in the bleak midwinter of her life, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, 
Uh, I keep telling myself the best 20 are probably not ahead <laughs> anymore. So uh, I don't know about that for you. Yeah, I don't know if that's well, true for you. It's, it's powerful. Yeah. And, you know, Thank you. If you keep going the way you're going, the best 20 are ahead. I got uh, Well, she's 100% in her power right now, and it's really magnificent and inspiring to watch her. It really is. Oh, thank you, my dear. Really. So, so Abigail, how did you become involved in the project? Was it audition? Did she reach out to you? We can thank Mr. Tim Bone for that, yes. um, who plays my husband. Um, Tim and I met last October at Golden Door International Film Festival in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Um, and we were sitting in the same row during the award ceremony, and we were both award winners from that film festival, which was very exciting. Stayed in touch, and uh, he reached out to me, and I did the reading in April, and that was all she wrote. Or that yep. was all Dorothy wrote, anyway. That's right. <laughs> That's beautiful. You know, we put the play through a very good, slow, long process. Yeah. Um, I spend my winters down in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, uh, where there's a wonderful theater community which has really been very open to letting me produce my work there. And so while a play I'd written two years ago was being performed last winter, I sat down and started to write this. And so when it was 26 pages long, we read it in Mexico. And then when it was 44 pages long in April, we read it. That's when I put this current cast together. And then in June, we did a two or three day workshop with the text mm -hmm. and I listened to what everybody said about their characters and then I spent the month of July retooling the play and then August 8th we actually went into rehearsal and a few more changes happened during the rehearsal period but basically uh, the text was essentially finished by August 8th mm -hmm. so it, it, it had I feel a good developmental process and that it's hopefully ready to have a future, which I desperately hope it has. I hope so too. It's a story that needs to be told because my father actually, he went through something similar, his, his brother and his sister with their uh, mother and father, and mm -hmm. now they're in a retirement community, and it was just, it's time. And it's hard to make that decision as, as family, but your character, Abigail, it's, mom, do this, and yeah. we don't find out why your character is acting the way she's acting until about the third act yeah. of this play. Yeah. What did you have to say? She said you guys talked about your characters. What oh, did gosh. you have to say about your character? Um, I just think... Well, the idea, yeah, that ahead, the, 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 the idea that the, the history of this house is so strong, your father's presence is so strong, I can't visit you here. Yeah. So, which is actually, you know, some of her most moving dialogue was directly from ideas that she had about it, you know, things that she felt and that she felt wished were expressed. So, yeah, and what she did, you know, for a living and, you know, yeah, the, the backstory between her and her husband and... Clarifying who she actually is and why she had this visceral reaction to just, you know, completely repel her entire childhood um, of living on this farm and get away from it, why, why that was. Um, and... You know, I just, I, I have, I don't know whether I, I can say that I enjoy living in Betsy's uh, brain, because she's a very difficult woman, but I think, um, for me, it's almost been very freeing um, to feel so strongly, and I think these are conversations that I'm, you know, a couple of months, maybe a couple of years away from having to have with my own in-laws and my own parents. Um, I'm a mom, so I know that I'm going to have to prepare things for my two boys. 
Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, regardless of what Betsy's character is specifically, it is such a universal, relatable theme. We all have to go through this, either ourselves or someone we love, um, or we know someone who's going through it. And so I think, you know, it's like cancer. It's mm -hmm. one, just one of those things where you, you're all gonna have to go through it. We all die. It's the only thing we can't get away from. <laughs> um, yeah. What about Elizabeth, Dorothy? Is that how much of Elizabeth is Dorothy Lyman? How much <laughs> of it is you removing yourself from your own situation? You know, it's funny. Some close friends who came and saw it said it didn't even seem like you. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I guess it is a character. No, um, you know, I, I sort of took the the story of several older farm women that I know up in my neighborhood in Delaware County that I've made friends with up there. And, you know, a lot of it is me, but, um, but nobody's going to put me in a home right now. Do you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's, straight. you know, that's where, where Elizabeth and I, uh, I guess, differ. And I am only 71 and she's 78. And, you know, there are similarities. But I don't know, this is the first when I started to write roles for myself, for myself, and then generally other actresses play them, this is unusual for me to actually not direct my plays and to be in them. Yeah. Um, it's the first time where, as an actor, the inside matches the outside, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because they are my words, and so I don't have to find a truth in them. Yeah. And that, yeah. as an actor, is incredibly eye-opening. And, and I have no fear, you know, no, I sit backstage, and actually I can fall asleep back there in the dark, waiting for the stage manager to come and call places. You know, I feel her hand on my shoulder, Dorothy, five minutes. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, thank you, you know, because I just trust that it's all going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Was it hard because they are your words and, and it is your story to a degree, was it hard to give over that direction and to listen to that outside voice and, and be an actor in, in a work that you had written? Yes. <laughs> Which is why the director is a protege of mine. Mm -hmm. And I made it very clear to her that this would not be a normal directing job for her. That, mm -hmm. you know, she is a wonderfully creative director who loves to work with big ensembles and have women on flying on aerial uh, trapezes. And, you know, she's a very conceptual uh, director, actually. And this piece is completely realistic and doesn't need that kind of direction. I needed a, a, a production manager, somebody to help me staff it up and, and pull things together. Katie is uh, having a baby in five days. She yes. so was enormously pregnant during this process and had plenty on her mind. And um, no, she was a very good sport because I um, interfered a lot. Because <laughs> it, you know, it, it's my way or the highway at this age. I'm sorry. No, that's the, that's the way to do it. <laughs> and it's beautiful. I, I was sitting there like, wow. It's just because I think everybody, like you play, both of my grandmothers rolled into one. You know, there are elements of both. It's a universal character and it's beautiful. Thank we'll you. come back to the show at the end, but I want to take some time and focus on each of your careers individually, if I may. Sure. Just a few questions because Abigail, as I was telling you earlier, 
big, big fan of Blue Bloods. And I'm so happy to hear that. End of last season, there were rumors you weren't returning. Um, if you, <laughs> Where do these rumors I come don't from? Know. It's so funny. But obviously, we know now you're filming in the new season. What keeps you coming back year after year to that story? I'm though? working. It's a job. I mean, yeah. come on. Like To be a working actor is... <laughs> It's a dream, uh, and I, I will milk that cow until I can. she is no longer able to be milked. Um, I'm so incredibly fortunate to have that second family. Um, you know, nine years in, they really have become a second family to me, and um, they are so incredibly supportive. I had our, our technical advisor here today um, okay. from the show, along with one of our producers and writers. Okay. Um, and it just, it just feels really good for them to be able to see me in a totally different light. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, so of course I come back because I also think it's really important and I don't take it lightly that I play a police officer. Um, I think that they are um, unsung heroes and uh, they wake up every morning and, and put their lives on the line. Um, and I think the climate that exists currently um, is a really scary place to be, I, um, you know, and I, I'm so thrilled that I am able to kind of humanize the, the badge a little bit. I think that I, I'd hopefully speak for all of the people that portray police officers on the show that uh, it's really important for us to get it right and show that these are human beings who have families and lives and people that love them, um, you know, and they, they wake up in the morning and potentially sacrifice all of that. Exactly, and I was, uh, I think I was telling Megan, but I didn't get a chance to tell you, I come from a law enforcement family. Oh, so wow. that's why that show's important to me, yeah. because it portrays it. And I yeah. think, not to wade into the politics of it too much, but we do live in a time where there is a skepticism about police and, and relations are tense. Mm -hmm. And you're telling the stories, not, a, not necessarily, oh, a murder mystery, whodunit, law and order, but you're telling the stories of the other side of that blue line. And we don't see that a lot on television, and that's important to you. You don't, and the, the family aspect is also really refreshing. I think people, yeah. you know, um, as we get busier, as we live our lives on our phones and our devices, um, you know, we don't come together and have eye contact and have conversations. And the fact that on national television you're showing a family coming together once a week, regardless of their political views or their jobs, and yeah. saying, this is who I am, this is what I did this week, uh, take it or leave it. And there's been plenty of arguments around that dinner table, um, you know. And I, I mean, as far as the political stuff goes, you know, I, I as an artist, of course, I, I uh, have plenty of friends who certainly see the other side of it, right. and uh, and it certainly exists and is very valid. And exactly. the conversation and the dialogue needs to continue to happen because we will never get past it in this country if we do not talk to each other about um, the very real fears that exist on either side of that line, the very, very valid fears. So, you know, I just continue to put it out there as best I can and portray positivity because I think that's the only way forward. I know you're very private in your personal life. I'm not going to pry. <laughs> but I know your husband was here and I know he's a lieutenant he in is, the FDNY. Yeah. Is. is there a story related to Blue Bloods as to how you met or is it just sheer coincidence? No, it, well, he actually wasn't um, FDNY. Um, when we started Blue Bloods, um, he, he's from Iowa, and uh, we met, uh, we were doing a dinner theater production together. Uh, oh. he, he moonlighted as a, as a performing waiter at a dinner theater and um, followed me back to New York when that theatrical production finished. And 
Um, we've been together for about 11 years, married for nine. Um, and we have two beautiful boys and he is, um, he is a true hero, especially because right now he's on um, family leave for um, upwards of four years. Um, FDNY is incredible that it gives their employees up to four years of unpaid family leave that you can take. Wow. So he's doing daddy daycare while I am working. And uh, it's been interesting uh, exploring that dynamic, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it's really made our relationship stronger and way more interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of him because I know how, how difficult it is to go from you know, a, a job where you're getting accolades and you get this excitement and this thrill every day and your adrenaline is rushing and pushing through your body every day and then all of a sudden you're just at home with you know, an almost two-year-old and a six-year-old boy hanging on you. It's just a totally different experience and he's really done it with such grace and I'm grateful for him. Beautiful, beautiful to see the man supporting the woman, especially <laughs> yeah, as we're in this time. Last question yeah. I have for you about sure. Um, I know you're in the midst of shooting this season. Mm -hmm. um, last year they kind of teased a, a bigger role for Baker and, and things that, you know, maybe she has aspirations you know, besides just sitting outside of Frank Reagan's <laughs> door. <laughs> Does that role expand in season nine? Can you tease anything about season nine? I can't tease too much, but I will say that, yes, you will be seeing a lot more of Baker. So it's it's been very, very fulfilling and satisfying for me. And I, I cannot thank the producers enough. The writers and producers have been very kind. So a lot to look forward to. You're next. <laughs> you have been a part of my childhood for years. And now I'm not a child, but I have to tell you, every day after elementary middle school, because both of my parents worked like simultaneous shifts, I'd have to go home to my grandparents. And my grandfather, he would watch, I don't know what channel it was that it was syndicated, but the first half hour would be Mama's Family. And then the next half hour would be the nanny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I remember that. I don't remember what channel that was either. Was it like TBS or it had TNT to be, It had to be like Lifetime or something. That, yeah, yeah TV both. Land. Yeah, yeah TV. TV. I think it was TV yeah. Land. Yeah. And so I just, I bow down to you. And <laughs> you directed over half of those episodes. Yeah. How did you help that show find its voice? What was the vision? What were... What would take me into that process and how you created such a lasting sitcom? Well, you know, uh, Fran was one of my acting students. I had a little waiver theater in Hollywood, and to pay for the productions, I gave acting classes. And Fran Drescher showed up to take my acting class because she had been a fan of my TV work. So we have you to blame for the voice? Uh, no, no. And, and uh, you know, we, we had so much fun. She said, oh, Dorothy got colors out of me in that class. She had me doing the children's hour. And, oh, man, that's uh, actually a pretty good impression. And at that time she did, um, she and her husband Pete were making croutons, and she had quite a thriving crouton business, which she later sold to Pioneer Foods. She said, if, I, if we don't make it as an actor, I'm going to have a food, you know, gourmet food thing going on. That so anyway, she always said to me, if I ever make it, you're going to direct me. And when she was creating The Nanny, she said, and now I know CBS probably why this happened, but she wanted me and Twiggy's husband to play Mr. Sheffield and Cece, the his assistant, yeah. but CBS said we were too old, that, he, that she wanted to cast, her to cast younger people. Yeah. So um, 
she said, I can't get you the part, but if you will commit to observing for like a whole season, I could probably get you one episode to direct. So I sat and watched the whole second season. And at the end of the second season, they turned to me and said, we'd like you to direct next week's episode, because I think their staff director then had said that she didn't want to continue on with the show. So they wanted to find out if I could actually do it. So I did the next week's episode, and it got the biggest laugh spread of any nanny you know, oh, wow. previously. Yes. So on the basis of that one episode, they offered me the entire third season, and then the fourth season, and then the fifth season. Now, Fran liked the consistency of one director. So she didn't want, like most shows, a director coming in every week, a different person, or someone would do three and somebody else would come in. So I was lucky enough to direct 75 consecutive episodes of The Nanny. Amazing. And it was just an amazing opportunity. You know, Fran is an amazingly loyal and talk about a role model for women. I mean, just a powerhouse, you know? Yeah. She broke every single story of the whole six seasons of The Nanny. She created every story. That's great. What I loved about it, and what some people say, and I don't agree with this, that, that made it jump the shark, but I, I think I saw the evolution, was that they actually got together. How many sitcoms and dramas do you see that they drag it out for years with no resolution? But I could tell you what season we're in based on where Fran and Maxwell's relationship is. And I had a chance to talk with uh, Charles quite a few years back uh, for the show. And it's just wonderful to see a sitcom that actually was episodic in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and farcical. No, it was way. awful fun. And they took me to Paris. We did an episode in Paris. They took me on a cruise ship. We shot two weeks on a cruise ship. Uh, and every year we'd, we'd come out to New York and do some exteriors. I mean, it was just a great, great job. Mm. Mama's family. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes story that's never been told, what do you got? If you oh. have any. Yeah, what do you got, Dorothy? That was just. <laughs> no, I can't. I, yeah, I, I, come I, on. I, I mustn't dish. You know, why? You know, uh, I you know, respect Car that. Carol, Carol Burnett created Mama's Family because she didn't want to do the Burnett show anymore, and there was a crew of 200 people yeah. that she did not want to throw out of work. So they created Mama's Family for Vicky to be the headliner. And she and uh, Vicky and Carol used to take their lunch hour during All My Children from 1 to 2. Oh, wow. And they would sit and have their lunch together and watch me on All My Children. So when they were developing Vicky's show, they said to each other, wouldn't it be great if Dorothy Lyman came and were part of the show? So one day, I'm sitting at home in my little New York apartment, which you've been to, mm -hmm. Palmander Walk, and the phone rings, and a woman says, hi, this is Carol Burnett. You know, we'd like you to come out to California and work with us on a sitcom. And I was like, OK, which of my, <laughs> you know, me. Yeah. which of my friends? She goes, no, Dorothy, really, this is Carol. And um, you know, she changed my life. Uh, Franny changed my life. You know, I owe big debts to both of those women. Beautiful. I love that it's to women, too. Yeah. To women. Then that yeah. has been something I've noticed about your career is it's it's all been female or feminine focused because Naomi was a very <laughs> feminine character. I mean, my goodness. My um, my idea for her was a Barbie doll, that I wanted to bring a Barbie doll to life, and I had them give me that ponytail and those <laughs> friends. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Now, let's close. Let's talk about Midwinter again. It runs through September 23rd, and you can get tickets at stuffedoliveinc.com. Talking right to the camera. Uh, 
But it really does cover, again, an untold story, stories that families go through. And it, what I want to know, because like I said, I talked about my family, have people been coming up to you and saying, oh my goodness, we went through stuff like this. Like, what was the, what have you learned about what people actually go through in this process? Mm -hmm. You know, that everybody has a story about, about an aging adult. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to relate to your parents who were all powerful for so many years of your life and now suddenly they need your help. And, um, you know, my, my, I would much rather have been left with my dad. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, he passed before my mom, and so, and my mother did have Alzheimer's. And so eventually, uh, after keeping her at home in Minneapolis with round-the-clock care for as many years as I could, I finally had to put her into a home. And honestly, it was the worst day of my life. It was like leaving your puppy at the pound or something. I mean, you know, she was, oh, this is a nice room. You know, she was perfectly happy. And then, then it came time to leave, and I went to go to the elevator, and she followed along behind me to the elevator, and then they closed the little childproof gate between me and the elevator, and this look came over her face like, you're not, you know, I mean, she was yeah. impaired, so she couldn't say, you know, you're not leaving me here, are you? But, you know, Dorothy, God, I so mean, painful. it was horrendous. That's so, yeah. um, mm. and we have a tendency to, you know, my brother would say, oh, she's not there anymore. The mother I knew is gone, you know. And I was like, no, no, she is in there. You see, you, you want to believe they're not in there. But she couldn't say, hey, Dorothy, how's it going? How are the kids? You know, love your career. You know, but I could see that she couldn't say my name or anything, but that she was still in there. And that's what makes it so terribly hard. Yeah. And that's why people want to believe that they, are, they don't know the difference. Abigail, as you approach it with your family, what do you fear, if I can ask? What do I fear? Oh, um, When this conversation has to happen in real life. I mean, you know, the, the beauty of my parents is that they have always been very prepared. Um, they are meticulous. Uh, and I watched, um, I watched my dad go through it with the loss of his parents within the span of about a year. And both of them were still in their home. Um, but he was the executor. And uh, I was able to, it was before my acting career had um, really become anything, and I was able to take some time and, and go home to Georgia and, uh, and spend uh, a solid week at home helping him go through this life uh, that they had had together that was no more, you know, and just the things that. Uh, are so essential all of a sudden become the things that need to be thrown away. The toothbrush, the shampoo, the, um, the lipstick uh, that you know, may not have been opened or may have only been used a couple of times. And, um, and I, I think the most fascinating thing for me in that process was the assurance that they were 100% not there anymore. I feel like a lot of times you know, when you hear people talk about um, their parents leaving, they feel like this presence still in the house or whatever, you know, whether it's a ghost or whatever you believe, some kind of spirit, something, but they were so definitively gone. And it wasn't a scary thing, it was actually very um, comforting to me because they weren't there. And wh whether, you know, regardless of whether you believe in heaven or whatever, I, I do believe that that is where they are. Um, and 
being there to help my father and my mother to a lesser extent experience that uh, and seeing my uncles and aunts experience that loss, um, you know, changed me. Um, and then becoming a mother mm. myself changed me. Um, has this opened play, up. Has this doing this play provided any perspective on that? Of course. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I know that my parents have created, uh, have these things in place, you know, the, the, the will and all of these things, but I actually don't know what their specific plans are. So, you know, I, I look forward to having this open dialogue with them, which I, I actually look forward to because I want to do it now while it is something that is pleasant and I can truly hear what their wishes are rather than waiting until it's too late. Um, I think too many of us think, oh, it's never going to happen and then it's too late when it does. So, yeah, you know, I'm grateful that my parents have prepared, but at the same time, you know. I think it's important to talk to older people about what they want and that, yeah. you know, some children are like, oh, no, 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 you're never going to die. I don't want to hear it. It's too upsetting. I don't want to talk no. about it, Daddy, you know. But it, it, it's comforting to the older person to, to discuss it mm -hmm. and to plan with you and, you know. I have a friend who very long story short, um, who's in his 80s. And uh, he, we actually became friends via Facebook Messenger. He, he's a fan who reached out to me and we became pen pals and then we've ended up developing a really close relationship. Um, and I've actually received his obituary. He sent it to me wanting me to edit it and uh, read it and make sure that, you know, in addition to telling his children what he wants, that he has this outside you know, force to kind of make sure that what he wants is really being followed. Not because he doesn't trust his kids, but just because he cares about me and has almost had me become a surrogate grandchild to him. And, and mm. I've been able to approach age so effortlessly with him. You know, he's such a jokester and, and I've been so grateful for that relationship. So, you know, I've never really been afraid to talk about death and, and, and dying and being sick. You know, I've certainly had my own experiences with those things and I, I think it's so much more important to just talk to someone and level with them and, and you know say I'm here I see you I see what you're going through it's and beautiful. not shy away from that it's beautiful well I hope this play helps uh, those conversations continue for everybody who comes to see it and you need to come see this show <laughs> I think some of the best work is done off off Broadway like this I agree and it's in the bleak midwinter at Shetler Studios Theater 54 12th floor of, uh, I think it's 244 West 54th Street, stuffedolliveink.com for your tickets. Dorothy Lyman, Abigail Hawk, a treat beyond words. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.